So he reached out to me yesterday to ask if I would open up the class. We do have a special speaker that we want to give him as much time as possible. Uh, Paul does a great job when he fills in for Lou, so we want to hear what he has to say for us. Um, I don't believe there are any other announcements this week, so if you want to read the verse with me today, um, then we'll go ahead and turn it back over to Bill for prayer. So uh, read together with me James 5, 8. You also be patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. I got a question for you. How many grandfathers do we have in the building this morning? Well, it was a pretty good crowd. Well, um, about a year ago, um, I became a grandfather, and everybody kept telling me it was going to be the most awesome thing in the world and so on and so forth and um, I kind of was like oh yeah it'll be okay but when it happened my life changed and I can't explain it and someone said to me um, well what was the difference between being a grandfather and having your own kids and that kind of set me on a little bit of a journey I think when you have your own kids, you're young and you're busy and you're working and you're trying to be a help at home. And I think you become so busy in having the baby and all that that entails, entitles, that you don't really have time to really think about what really happen but when you're a grandfather you can love and care and send them home you don't have to you, it's not that you don't but you don't have to change the diapers you don't have to pay the bills like you did when you were young and you have a chance to kind of sit back and enjoy that's a good word the privilege that's given to us as grandparents so those of you that aren't it would change your life and it has changed mine but it's interesting as uh, Lou asked me to teach this I thought to myself what what will I teach what will we talk about and um, I love, when I read God's word, I love the wisdom of old men. So the question I've got for you is, did any of you have a relationship with an old man or a grandfather that has stuck with you long past when they've been gone? I have, and I had two grandfathers, which pretty normal. I had one who was a little grumpy and never had much of a relationship with. I had one who was very involved in our lives. He loved sports. He um, loved to fish and I'm not much of a fisherman, but I fished with him. Um, played ball with him. I can remember as a little kid uh, waiting for the school bus and my grandfather would come out 
to see us onto the bus and he'd be wandering around we had these big oak trees at the front of our property and he'd wander around this tree and he'd say paul come over here i got something to show you and the night before or early in the morning he had come out and put a nickel or a dime or a quarter in the bark of the tree i can remember going to, ch to school i was probably the only kid that had money in my pocket because of the money that my grandfather had planted he made a purpose in his life to do something for me that would be interesting and exciting for me it's interesting james pastor's been speaking about james and going through james james had learned a lot of things and if we turn over a couple pages from James, we run into Peter and Peter's writings, and then we run over a couple more pages and we run into John. And I wanna to turn to the epistle of John, 1 John today. John was probably, well not probably, he was the youngest disciple that Jesus had. When he wrote this book, he was the only living disciple still alive and he was a very old man so he got a little bit of wisdom and it's interesting as we look at this book the first couple of verses John says this the one who existed from the beginning is the one that I have seen and we have seen and heard so what he's doing is he's building the case. I've lived with this man. I know exactly what he's done. I have some wisdom for you. We saw him with our own eyes. We've touched him with our own hands. He is Jesus Christ, the word of life. This one who is, who is life from God was shown to us and we have seen him. He keeps going over this. It's not hearsay. It's not something I read in a book. I was called by this man. I've lived with this man. I've seen this man in motion. I was there when this man died. And I was there when he rose again. He was with the Father. And then he was shown to us. Verse 3. We are telling you about what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. What does fellowship mean? <laughs> Something in common? An understanding? And then John gets right to it. And the first point that I want to say is we are writing these things so that our joy will be complete. What does joy mean to you? That's a question. What's it mean to you? How do you describe it? In my lifetime, I've owned four Corvettes. At the time, I thought, Probably nothing much more mattered. I was pretty excited. 
But you know something happens over a, about a four or five or six month period? It just becomes a car. I was happy when I bought it. And when the time came to sell it, I was happy to see it gone. What is joy? It's not happiness. Help me. What's joy mean to you guys? Perfect. Yes, sir. You were meant to say grandchildren. Grandchildren bring joy. And you can define that as joy. Okay. What's joy? Yes, sir. Produced by the Holy Spirit. Okay. So if it's produced by the Holy Spirit, what does that mean? Lasts forever, for one thing. Does joy last forever? But it, there's times, as Pastor Jonathan spoke in service, when we get out of touch with God, the joy isn't quite as evident. But we still have that joy. We still have that. As I look back at my grandfather, it was interesting because I was always glad to hear he had lived through two world wars. He'd been in two world wars. He was wounded in the first world war because he was a scout. And I can remember as a kid him telling him us how he crawled through the grass in four and five o'clock in the morning underneath the barbed wire to find out where the enemy was and then to crawl back before daylight so that he could report to this, his captains. It was the only time that I think I ever got my grandfather to admit that he lied. He had to lie to get into the army and he was underage, but they hired him or they took him as a soldier because he was small. He was very athletic and he could get where he needed to go. He was wounded in the First World War and ended up in the hospital where his brother, who had also was there, died. It's very interesting to listen to those kind of stories and how they could benefit me and help me understand. John says, I'm writing this thing, I'm writing this letter, I'm writing a story so that you can have joy. Um, we went to uh, had a birthday party yesterday and we went to one of those lockdown game stores. Everybody know what those are? Well, they put you in there and they lock you in, you got an hour. And you gotta find all the cues, tips, so they can get yourself out of, this, out of the thing. If it was left up to me, they'd have to turn it into a morgue because I'd be in there forever till I died. <laughs> Thank goodness my family's a lot more intelligent with technical stuff and we got out with about 10 minutes to spare. But when you go in there, it's dark. Now I want you to just think about this. You go into a room, shut the door, turn the light off, it's totally dark. But the second that you crack the door, you have a little bit of light. And when you have a little bit of light, you don't have what? You don't have darkness. So John goes on, he says this, verse 5. This is the message he has given to us. God is light, which we all know. There is no darkness in him at all. 
So we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God, but go on living in spiritual darkness. See, he changes it from like this vision that we've got, being in a room where it's dark, and all of a sudden he switched it to our lives. He said, if we live in spiritual darkness, we're not living in the truth. But if we're living in the light of God's presence, just as Christ is, then we have fellowship. There's that word again, fellowship with God and with each other. And God's, Jesus' blood that he died on the cross, shed, cleanses us from every sin. I don't know about you, but somehow sin comes really, really, really natural to me. And he says, if we have no sin, we're fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. When I'm really, really on fire for God, when I when God's really spoken to me, and by the way, this morning's sermon was, the whole service to me was amazing. But when I have in right relationship with God and I have that joy it's something I don't want to ever lose it's amazing kind of leaves you weak in the knees but because of who I am I lose that joy or I lose some of the edge of that joy Chapter 2, verse 1. John writes, My dear children, and he's not talking down to them. He's just saying, I'm an old man. I've got some wisdom for you. My dear children, I'm writing this to you so that you will not sin. Great. It's like telling the person that's just, I'm really, really good at sinning, but you're not supposed to sin. And I think it's interesting as we look at this, this is kind of the wisdom. If I had said to my dad, uh, what wisdom do you have in life? And because my dad was the way my dad was, my dad would have said, well, you don't drink or chew or go with girls that do. Good wisdom. But if you talk to a grandfather, He'd say, you're not supposed to sin. But there's a word in there that just helps us so much. Because we all are sinners. We all sin. We all blow it. John says, dear children, I'm writing this to you so you do not sin. But, I'm really glad there's a but in there. If you do sin... There is someone to plead for you before the Father. About a year and a half ago, um, I was heading up towards Canada, which is where we're from, and I had my in-laws with me, and I was taking them home. There's a stretch of road up there where it's two lanes, and it narrows down to one lane, and then there's about five or six little villages that you got to go through. And as I'm coming on, I set my speed cruise control was on. 
I was enjoying, it was a beautiful sunny day. I was enjoying the drive and I looked ahead of me and it said road narrows in one mile. Then I saw a box truck in front of me about a half a mile. You have to kind of understand how I operate. But I thought to myself, I don't really, I don't really want to follow this box truck through five towns at 23 miles an hour. So I stepped on the crew off the cruise and stepped on the gas pedal. And I was making great, great headway. I got to the truck and I thought, boy, that road's gonna narrow in about 500 feet. I gave it one more shot and I just got beside the truck and came over a little hill and there was a state trooper. <laughs> His lights came on immediately. He was facing me and I was beside the truck and I was going faster than the truck. So then I was in a dilemma. Do I pass the truck and hope that the cop just had a bad day and decide to stay there? Or do I just put the brakes on and pull over? Well, again, you have to know me. I finished passing the truck. I thought if he's gonna stop me, he's gotta pass the truck too. And he said to me, are you in a hurry? I said, no, no, sir, I really wasn't. But I didn't wanna follow that box truck. He said, asked me for my stuff. And then he came back in a bit and he said, Sir, I can't give you a speeding ticket. You were going too fast, so you have to go to court. Great. I phoned a couple lawyers to get information because you have to know me. I didn't have a whole lot of extra points left over. So the lawyer says to me, no problem, sir, we can get you off. We'll either get you totally off or we'll get it reduced. So the day came for me to go to court, I had to drive up to Maryland. And I'm sitting in the courtroom with the lawyer beside me feeling remorseful that I had to be there. And the lawyer said, I don't think the policeman's here. So if the policeman doesn't show up, so I'm thinking, great. Policeman showed up. So I had listened to several other situations. Then they called me up. And it was very, uh, uh, how do I put this? It wasn't making me happy that I had to be there, but I was really, really glad that the lawyer was there. Because the lawyer got up and she said, well, you, you have to know, sir, that Mr. Bluefield's an outstanding citizen. Uh, he's never had this charge against him before. He's never been in jail and blah, blah, blah. And he needs his license so that he can help his son in their business. And I sitting there thinking, well, we'll see what happens. Long story short, they told me if I don't get a ticket for a year, I can keep my license. That was a good start. All I had to do is pay a fine so I was glad to pay the fine, and I really, really tried to behave myself 
through since then. Question says, it says here, God is our advocate. Jesus stands in our behalf when we fail, when we sin. We don't see the wrath of God. It does separate us from God, but we do not see the wrath of God because Jesus is our lawyer, he's our advocate. He takes the blame. The question of God is, do we really hate sin? Because I think we rationalize and we make ourselves feel like, no, I shouldn't sin. But something else you need to know about me, I hate snakes. Really hate snakes. And this morning at breakfast, I was scrolling through my phone and there was a thing in there that said, people find 17 foot python in backyard, 210 pounds. And there's five people standing there holding onto this nasty stinking snake. I hate snakes. Where we're building our homes right now is in, a, in an area of land that hasn't been disturbed by mankind for about 5,000 years. And we are finding snakes. And I'm, I hate snakes. <laughs> hate them. People say, well, you shouldn't kill a black one because they kill the poisonous ones. There's no good snake, except a dead one, and even then I don't even want to see it. But as you think about sin, do I hate sin as much as I hate snakes? Some of you may be snake lovers. Sorry. You can get saved. <laughs> but like really the other day I'm driving down 460 I got my cruise on I'm just minding my own business somebody's in the passing lane and I'm coming on them fairly quickly which annoys me but that's something you should know about me and they've got a Thomas Road sticker on the back of their car so I thought I'll just go around so I slowed down, went in the other lane. I got up beside the lady, she gave me the finger. I thought to myself, first of all, ma'am, I was going around you, I wasn't trying to harass you. Second of all, if you're gonna do that, don't put Thomas Road sticker on their car. But do we hate sin? When somebody says something they shouldn't say to you, like, what is your reaction? John says, if you do sin, there's someone to plead for you before the Father. His name is Jesus Christ. He is the one who God is completely pleased with. He is our sacrifice for our sin. And he takes away not only our sin, but the sin of the whole world. The old hymn. We've got some older people in here. How many learned the old hymns or the old hymnals? And there's times when your mind just goes back and goes, well, my mind went there. Jesus has paid it all. All to him I owe. 
sin has left a crimson stain. He washed as white as snow. I'm really good at sinning. Jesus is really good at forgiving. It's not a good excuse. When I was a little kid, my grandparents took us to a town nearby that uh, we had an old aunt and uncle. And they lived right across from a secondary school that was really, really old. Had these huge steel chutes outside the school. And I said to my grandfather, I said, what are, the, what are those steel chutes for? What are those steel things up on the side of the building? He said, oh, he said, those are for a fire escape. The building ever catches on fire, they can open the windows, students can go down the chutes, nobody dies. I thought, wow, that's pretty amazing. I said, do they really work? I was like 10. He goes, I don't know. We're not going to burn the school down to prove that the shoots work. And it's funny because that story, that little tidbit in my life has come back and reminded me over and over and over again. I've never forgotten it. Because Jesus died to forgive us doesn't mean we burn the schoolhouse down to prove that it works. Chapter 5, by the way, John is, the whole book is full of all kinds of promises. I just picked on a few. He says, verse five, or chapter 5, verse 13, I write this to you who believe in the Son of God so that you may know you have eternal life. How many things do we have in life that we know, that we know, that we know? Not finances. I knew a guy that was, I would consider fairly wealthy. When the recession hit in 07, he and I were in a conversation and he said, I don't know where this recession's gonna go, but I'm afraid. He's a Christian guy. I ran in about a month later and he said, this recession is going to go deep. It's going to go really deep. He said, I'm really, really concerned for my investments. About a week later, I ran into him at Walmart and I said, how are you doing? He said, I'm not good. I said, why? He said, I cashed all my investments. Put the money in the bank. Said I lost eight hundred thousand two days ago. I was looking after my dad's. My dad has had Alzheimer's at the time, and I was looking after my dad's estate. And every two or three days, I'd go on the internet and I'd see how my dad's money was eroding, and I was having a heart attack. I have three siblings. One is much bigger than me, and two of them are much mean, meaner than me. And I thought, I'm going to lose all of my dad's investments. 
Well, it turned around and all of us looking back, we can all smile and within a year, my dad's investments had all come back through and I was glad because one of my siblings is bigger and two are meaner. But I thought about this guy that I had, he told me, he said, I lost $800,000. Because he said, I didn't know and I was afraid. So I cashed all my investments in. And he said, I think I've got enough to get me through to the end of my life. What do we have in our world that we know for sure, that we know for sure? Nothing. Turn the news on. By the way, got to know me. I don't watch the news anymore. I'm tired of it. It's always the same stuff. People who can't behave themselves, destroying things for people that can behave themselves. It's sad. Is there anything that we can know for sure? Yes. That's right. Not our health, not our wealth. No one is guaranteed tomorrow or even for an hour. But John says, the old grandpa type, this is what you can know. This is what you can know. This is what you can absolutely know that you can have eternal life. it's pretty exciting because you and I we kind of go through life and like nothing's for sure but the Holy Spirit when you're in a right relationship with God and you're one of his children the Holy Spirit cements that in your mind so this is how I'm going to end someday you will hear that Paul Bloomfield has passed away Kick the bucket. It's over. And I'm sure many people are going to have different reactions. <laughs> but I want you to know this. The party has just begun. I will be more alive at that moment in time than I've ever been before. I will see my Savior face to face. And if any of you, if any of you beat me there, I will be there. 
John's wisdom. This is kind of a summary. John's wisdom. He's an old man. You have people here who are young. You have people here that are old. John's wisdom is this. You can have joy. Despite their burning down Seattle, New York, wrecking the place, no matter what's going on, no matter what statutes are falling down, no matter what's going on in your own world, whether you're employed or not employed, you can have joy. John doesn't talk to us about the football game. He doesn't talk to us about this. He talks to us, you can have joy. This is your life. You can have joy. I want you to know you can have joy. I want you to know that you don't have to sin. God created the world in seven days. Pretty amazing world. I mean, you, the other night we drove out and saw the mountains. Beautiful. He's built in heaven for us. And he's been at it for 2,000 years. You have no idea what heaven's going to be like. If we don't, if we, if we trust God, we don't have to sin. If we do sin, it's made an escape route. If we blow it, all we have to do is admit it. And go on with our life. Brings back the joy. The other thing he wants us to know is it's not in vain. No matter what you're doing, no matter what you're going through, no matter how you get there, you can know that there's a heaven. I'm not excited about the process of getting from where I am now to the day that I see the pearly gates. But one thing I do know is when I see those pearly gates, they're going to be real. A few years ago, when I was pastoring in Roanoke with a friend of mine, I got a call one night from an older couple, an older gentleman, and he said, um, my wife has had a stroke and she's on her way to the hospital in an ambulance. Of course, I went to the hospital. She wasn't in good shape. Doctors weren't saying, giving her very much hope. We prayed with them, went home. Three o'clock next afternoon, Paul called and he said, Doris is not gonna make it much longer. Would you come to the hospital? I didn't tell very many people this, but when we went to the hospital, she was laying in the bed. The monitor was here. I had her hand in my hand and I had my other hand in the husband's hand. And we just stood there, and the beep was like, beep, 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 beep. And I looked up at the monitor, and then the little bumps, and everybody's seen them, and then there's just a straight line. I'd never been in that situation before in my life. But as we stood there, we were all quiet. The family was all there. Nobody said, the, said a word. I saw something that 
thought to myself, I, I can never tell anybody I ever saw this. But I literally saw her spirit come out of her body and go across the room. And I looked up at the corner of the hospital room and where the roof and the ceiling comes together, I saw her spirit go through the wall. Julie was reading about that stuff. I thought to myself, I, no one is ever going to believe me, so I'm not going to ever tell anybody. That was a God moment for me. The Spirit did not stay in that body. Sorry, I'm a little emotional today. This is pretty exciting for me. We know we have eternal life. So no matter what happens, today, tomorrow, 10 years from now, 50 years from now, there's heaven. Let's close. Father, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for the comfort, the joy that comes from your Holy Spirit who convinces and convicts, changes our lives, but brings reality to what we've been taught. So we just thank you thank you for each one that's here today and no matter where they are where we are in our spiritual walk and our age we thank you for the words of comfort and the uh, security that we have in you and we pray these things in Jesus name amen thank you